Good morning. How y'all doing out there? Who's going back to school this week? I know y'all ain't doing good. I just want to tell you that it's been a long time since I had to go back to school, but I still, I get sad. This, I, I told Sherry the other day, I said, I'm a little bit depressed because kids are having to go back to school. She said, you're not having to go back to school. I said, yeah, but it just makes me sad that other people's summers are ending. I just remember, and I hate that I'm talking about this because if you're going back to school, you probably came here to forget about this today, but I just got to tell you, I just remember the Sunday that went before I would go back to school, being at church that Sunday and thinking, I cannot believe I got to go back to that place tomorrow. It's, this is awful. It's the worst thing ever in my life. Hey, a um, couple things, let me let you know a couple things going on before we jump into the message today. Um, one is uh, there's going to be a partners meeting. If you are here at Freedom and you've decided you want this to be your church, we have what we call partners instead of members, and that's a whole other thing that we'll talk about at another time. But if you're a partner, you know who you are. We have a partners meeting immediately after the service is over with. If you've got babies and little kids in the nursery, you can go get them, bring them back in here with you, and then as soon as everybody's back in here, we're going to have a partners meeting that should take less than two minutes if, uh, if we do it the right way. And so just want to remind you of that. Also, if you're not a partner and you want to know more about what freedom's all about and you think, I've been coming here for a while, maybe I want this to be the church that, that we call home, that we're uh, really a part of every day, and uh, we're going to have a partnership class coming up in a couple of weeks, and there's a sign-up sheet on the, out in the atrium that you can sign up for that, and uh, just be sure, you, that's, those always happen on Sunday afternoons, and uh, it's, it's a great time, it takes a couple hours, and you'll find out more about this church than you probably ever wanted to know. And, and, and then you can make an informed decision of, well, is this the place I want to be? Now, before we jump into today's message, I need to correct something from last week's message that I didn't even realize until I listened back to the me- I try to listen to the messages every week, and when I do, I say, man, that guy sounds really a lot more country than I thought he did, and those kinds of things. And, uh, and so I listen to him every week, and I'm listening for mistakes, and listening and try to do better, and all that kind of stuff. And last week, I was introducing a, a part about the Old Testament and telling some things, and I said, and there was this guy named Isaac, and he had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's not Isaac, that's Jacob, okay? Jacob's, Jacob had, uh, Isaac was Jacob's dad, and Jacob had the 12 sons. But here's the deal. Y'all need to be reading the Bible, because nobody, <laughs> nobody said anything to me Sunday, nobody called me, sent me an email or anything, it's in the Old Testament, read it this week, all right? All right, here we go. Listen, uh, this is what I want you to do to begin. We're, we're continuing our series, our reboot series, and we're doing some comparisons between some spiritual things in our lives and, and, and computers and stuff, and this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to turn to the person right or left or right around you. I want you to tell them about the first computer that you ever bought. What was the com- first computer you bought? Tell them about it. Go ahead, do that right now. All right, go. All right. How many of you, uh, how many of your first computer was a Commodore 64? Anybody? That was, like, that was like the first computer a lot of people had. I, I remember my neighbor across the street had one, and it had like a cassette tape thing for the memory. Do you remember that? I mean, can you imagine keeping important documents on a cassette tape? But that's the way it was back then. The first computer I ever bought, and I was way behind the curve on computers. It seemed like everybody else had one. But I didn't get one until I went to seminary. When I was in college, they had 
computer labs where you'd go in and you'd wait in line for this guy to get done with his paper and then you'd sit down and type your paper out or whatever. But when I went to seminary, they didn't have as much uh, big as a computer lab and I wanted to have my own computer and Sherry and I were married and we thought we had enough money to buy a computer and that kind of stuff because it was real expensive back then, remember. And so we went and I bought and it, it, it was the fastest thing on the market right there. It was a 486. You remember those? Before the Intel processors and all that stuff. And this, man, this thing was top notch because it had two disk drives. It had that big fat floppy disk drive that's about as big as a frisbee, you know, and then it had the little mini disk drive in there too. And I thought I was big time. Then my parents knew I'd gotten a computer and they felt sorry for Sherry and I because we had just gotten married. So they sent me money to buy a printer. Well, I wasn't going to get a dot matrix printer where you got to feed it on those little wheels and all that stuff. I was big time. I was going to get a laser printer. And I'm not lying. We spent as much money on the laser printer as we did on the whole computer. And it was about as big as a bale of hay. I mean, I, we went, I, I got it at Sam's because it was a good deal. And I remember I had to get a guy to help me carry it out to the car. And uh, so that, yeah, that, was, that was the first computer we had. Well, the other thing about that first computer, and, it, and they used to sell computers like this, when we bought that thing, man, it was loaded down with software. When you cranked that sucker up, it had like 50 icons that came up on the screen. And it was all these trial versions of this and trial versions of that. And it had software that I didn't even know what it did. And it, it had stuff, it had software that would, two or three different kinds of software that would do the same thing. No lie, the, the first one we had, I think it had three different financial softwares on there. And I didn't, all I had was a checkbook. I didn't need three different financial softwares. And one of the things I began to find out about that computer and about computers in general was when they were maxed out with software uh, that they didn't run as well as they were supposed to. In fact, today, if you, we just bought a computer a few, a few months ago for our house, a new laptop, and now you buy them, it's bare bones. It's got like the operating system and that's it. And anything else you want to get, you add on to it, which is a smarter way to do things because you figure out, okay, what do I want this computer to do? And then you buy the software for it. And so I didn't know... I don't know anything about computers now, and back then I knew even less about computers at that time. And it wasn't running right, and this friend of mine at seminary came over and he said, what do you got all this stuff on here for? I said, I don't know, that's what it was. You don't need this. And he starts uninstalling stuff and everything. Next thing you know, it's running great because it wasn't maxed out anymore, maxed out with this software. And so today I want us to talk about what it means to be maxed out because I think us as human beings, and especially in the society we live in, we can find ourselves maxed out before we know it. In, in, a, in, a, in a moment's time, it's like all of a sudden life is going along and then all of a sudden we can find ourselves maxed out and, and we don't even know how it happened. Um, and, and anything being maxed out, whether it's a computer or our lives, that's not the best way for it to run. I mean, take a car for instance. You can't run a car 130 miles an hour all the time, every day, eventually it's going to wear out. That's why NASCAR races, when they do that thing, they have to totally rebuild everything every week. So if you have a vehicle, you can't do that. Or, or yourself, if, let's say you want to run a marathon. The way you run a marathon is you don't run a marathon every day to get ready. If you run a marathon every day in about, I don't know, maybe, well, me after one day. But some of you, if you tried to run a marathon every day, after about a week, you'd probably be in the hospital and having fluids put in you and that kind of stuff because your body's not designed to be maxed out on a regular basis. I think one of the biggest examples of maxed out in our society is all-you-can-eat restaurants, you know? Listen, you shouldn't eat all-you-can-eat, all right? 
None of us should. In fact, I think they ought to have all you should eat restaurants where they have, you, you get on a scale on the way in, right? And they weigh you and they hand you a plate based on how big you are, you know? And then, you know, so if you're really big, they give you a little plate and that's all you get. And then when you want to come back and get some more, they, they, they weigh you again and then they make you turn around, hmm, your behind's pretty big. You don't need another plate of food. You know, and if you ask for dessert, they just hand you a piece of celery and tell you to lick that and go home or whatever. That's, that's what we need because what we do in society today is if we can do more, we will do more. If you can eat more, it's like, hey, it's there. I might as well get it, you know. And, and, and if we can put more stuff on our schedule, we'll put more stuff on our schedule. And pretty soon we fill up our lives with all this stuff. And next thing you know, you realize I have no spare time. I have no energy because every day I'm going from this event to that event and I'm in charge of this project and I'm heading this thing up at work and I'm volunteering in this area. And next thing you know, we are maxed out. And pretty soon we find out that we are substituting busyness for effectiveness. We substitute busyness for effectiveness. And what happens then when we do that is that all of a sudden we think we're getting a lot done because we're just busy all the time and we got a lot going on. Man, I must be making some real progress here because I don't ever stop. And I go from you know, six in the morning till nine at night, and then I come home and I watch 30 minutes of TV and I fall asleep and I get up the next morning, I do it again, and I'm I'm getting a lot of stuff done, and, and, and I'm, I'm an important person. But really, what happens is we're just busy, and we're not really accomplishing anything, and we're not being effective at all. Well, I want you to know today that God has more in store for you in this life than just to be busy all the time. God has a bigger plan for you than to just be maxed out and to have one event to go to, then another event to go to, and for everything just to kind of continue on day after day on this treadmill that we do. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves maxed out? What, what are the things we need to think about? There's two stories, one in the Old Testament we're going to look at today, and one in the New Testament, and they both speak to this problem of being maxed out. Because it's really not, even though today's society, we, things move a little faster, and with the internet and, and uh, everything else, it's like stuff moves at a faster pace. This is not a new problem. People have always had this issue. So the first thing I want you to, to do is I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus is in the Old Testament. It's the second book of the Bible. Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus chapter 18. And I'm going to read a story from verses 13 through 26. Now, this is, a, let me just give you a little background, and I'll try to get all the names right this week. But there was a guy named Moses who was a slave in Egypt, and, uh, and, or actually he wasn't a slave because he had been adopted by the Egyptian uh, royal family and all that kind of stuff, but his people were slaves. The Israelites were slaves, and he was an Israelite. So God tells Moses, you've got to free these people. You've got to get them out of Egypt. So he does that. By the power of God, they're able to do that. Now he's got all these folks with him, and they are wandering around the desert. We talked a little bit about that last week. Remember the manna and the quail and all that stuff we talked about? So what is happening is Moses is now in charge of all these folks, and it's a big crowd, and his father-in-law comes to visit him. His father-in-law is named Jethro, all right? He had a sister named Ellie Mae, and they swam in the concrete pond. No, I'm just kidding. I was telling somebody before the service, the sad thing is we think of Jethro, we think of somebody stupid. You don't think of a Rhodes Scholar named Jethro, you know? You don't, none of you had a, a professor at school, Dr. De Jethro something or other, because we think of Jethro Bodine and he was dumb. Jethro was one of the wisest guys in the Bible, and we're going to see that in a minute by this story. So check this out, Exodus chapter 18, 
starting with verse 13. Listen to what happened to Moses and Jethro. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law, that's Jethro, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to, the, to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and ten. Tense. This whole Supreme Court thing that every you know, a few years is a big deal. We're going to appoint somebody. We just went through all that. This was Jethro's idea. He came up with that whole thing, all right? Then it says, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you will be able to stand the strain and these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made leaders of the people, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. So what was going on here is Moses, now here's what you need to understand about the Israelites. We're not talking about about as many people as we have in this room. Most Old Testament scholars who have studied this and are a lot smarter than me, and I just read their books to tell you what they say, most of these guys estimate that there were as many as 500,000 to 1 million Israelites that were wandering around. Let me say that again. Anywhere from a half a million to a million people. So in a couple of weeks when football season starts, you take a sold-out crowd at Williams-Brice Stadium, at Death Valley, at the Swamp in Florida, at Tennessee, at Michigan, and you're getting kind of close to the number of people that were there. That's how many folks it was. Now, some of you, you've got five people in your family. Five of y'all can't sit around the supper table without having an argument, right? Imagine what was going on with a half a million to a million people, and Moses is sitting there, and all these folks are saying, well, you know, we, we got to get this settled. Your cat peed on my kid, you know, or whatever. And we're going to have to go find out what Moses is going to do about this. So you have to go to Moses and wait in line. And it says people were standing around from morning till evening all day long. And I imagine sometimes it got to the evening and they just had to hold their place in line and get back there again the first thing the next day. And so Moses was wearing himself out and it was just not a good situation. So when Moses' father-in-law shows up, he tells him, look, this isn't good. But he also tells him it's not good for the other people. Because the first thing we need to understand is when we're maxed out, it hurts everyone. But when we're not maxed out, everyone benefits. Everyone benefits when we are focused. Everyone benefits when we are focused. See, being focused is the opposite of being maxed out. 
Being maxed out is the, is the way we tend to live our lives from time to time, where we're going from here to there and we can't really get our minds on anything and we're trying to do too much and we're trying to do everything and we're trying to head up everything and we think it all depends on us and pretty soon we'll find out we're not doing anything very well. Being focused is where we know what the task is, we know what the goal is, and we're moving towards that. And we, are, we know that, okay, I've got to put some things aside while I get focused on what it is that God wants me to do. And when we are focused, it's not just good for us, it's good for everyone. See, Moses was wearing himself out, but look at what it says in verse 18, what Jethro told him. Verse 18, it says this, You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. So it was not only bad for Moses to send her out and judge this stuff, it was bad for the people of Israel. Everyone was in a, in a worse shape because Moses was trying to do too much. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Jethro gives Moses this command or this advice. Moses takes the advice and does what he says and he appoints these judges. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the next chapter of Exodus is when Moses finds time now, because he's not sitting around all day, to go up on Mount Sinai all by himself, just him and God, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And there's from uh, Exodus 19 all the way to Exodus 26 is that whole story where Moses and God are talking and, and God is laying out all of these detailed decrees and laws that are supposed to guide the Israelites. And none of that would have happened if Moses had not taken the time to get focused, to put aside some of these other things that seem to be important and say, okay, what is it that I need to be focusing on today? And now God began to reveal to him what the law that was going to govern the Israelites for the next thousands of years and not only that, it was also the law that was going to point them to Jesus. See, we know now that the purpose of the law was to point men and women to Jesus. And that happened because Moses was able to focus and not be maxed out and get alone with God so that God could reveal those things to him. Now, if you're, if you're maxed out right now, you're living that lifestyle and you know day after day that, that that's what you're doing and, and you're like, you feel like Moses. You've got all these people that come to you all the time with every one of their problems and all that kind of stuff and people depend on you and those kinds of things. I know that you aren't in, intentionally, most of you are not intentionally trying to wear yourselves out. A lot of times that happens because we want to help. I don't think Moses thought to himself, you know what I want to do? I want to wear me out and the people of Israel out. I just would like to see if I could do that. I don't think that was his plan. I think he was just trying to help and he didn't know what else to do. He said, wow, God, you put me in charge of these folks. They can't seem to get along. We got a lot of problems here, so I'll just try to handle it all. And, and so he was just trying to help him. Maybe that's the situation you're in. You're in a job or you're in your family situation or whatever, or you're in charge of all these things. And you think, if I don't do it, nobody else will do it. And you're just trying to help out. But then what I want you to do is I want you to evaluate yourself too because there's two other issues there, I think, sometimes that we don't want to be honest about. One of them is this. Maybe you need to be needed. Are you one of those people? That it just makes you feel good when everybody turns to you for the answer? It makes you feel good when you're in charge of every volunteer organization at school and, and you, just, you, you, you need to be needed. If that's you, you're not maxed out because you've just made a mistake. You're maxed out because you have a self-esteem issue. And you don't feel very good about yourself unless you're trying to work to make other people love you and work to gain, gain other people's acceptance. The other issue that sometimes we get is that maybe you're one of these people that you say, well, I got to do all this stuff because nobody else can do it. And if you want something done right, 
you got to do it yourself. And you can't depend on volunteers to do anything, and so I'm just going to do it all myself. If that's the way you are, you're maxed out not because you're trying to help people, you're maxed out because you're arrogant. Because you think nobody else can do it like you. I had a guy one time tell me, and I I won't tell you, you, none of y'all know who he is, but I had a guy one time tell me, he said, I could take, he said, we got these guys, they come and make presentations and they've studied and put notes together. He said, I could take their notes and just read over them one time and do a better job than any of them do on their presentations. He was dead serious. He was the most arrogant guy I'd ever sat in a room with, you know. But he thought that nobody else can do it as good as me and maybe that's where you are and so maybe you're maxed out because you think, I got to do this myself because I'm the only one that can get it done. Whatever the issue is, if you're maxed out, it is not helping The organization you're a part of is not helping this church. It's not helping your family. Everyone will benefit if you can begin to get focused. Um, Lasers are an amazing thing. Lasers, you know, you can do a light show with lasers. They can do surgery with lasers. It's real specific. You can blow up the Death Star with lasers. And you can do all, I mean, you can do amazing things with lasers. And the, the main difference between a laser and the light in this room is focus. See, this, the light in this room is diffused. It's spread out all over the place. A laser is also light. Now, there's some other elements involved too, but the main difference between the light that's in a laser and the light that's in this room is it's focused. And it's completely fo- it's focused so much that now it can do amazing things and it has so much potential. And you, as a human being that God has created with all these gifts and talents and abilities, You have an amazing ability to do all kinds of things that you never imagined you could do if you can quit being maxed out and begin to get focused. Now, you might be sitting here and you're thinking, okay, what do we focus on, Cliff? What's the thing and and, and what, what are we supposed to do? I want you to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. So the second part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Jesus was on earth, Jesus died for our sins, he was crucified, he was buried, he came back to life, he hung around on earth for about a month or so after that, he did some more teaching, and then he left, he went back up into heaven, and he left these guys, the disciples, now they were called apostles by the people that followed Jesus, he left the apostles in charge of his church. In charge of, now he didn't have a church that met at Greer High School. The church was a little more, uh, you know, ragtag and less organized than we are right now. And he left them in charge of things, and then he left. And so as they were in charge of things, they had all these issues that came up. And here's one, Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So you had the two big groups, the Hebrews and the Greeks. The Greeks were people that were not followers of Christ until just, you know, until Jesus started teaching and they learned who Christ was. The Hebrews were people who had been raised Jewish. They'd heard about the coming Messiah, all that kind of stuff. And then they saw Jesus. They accepted him as the Messiah. And so you had these two different groups of people coming together. And they had widows that the church took care of. And that was their job. And so the disciples were the ones that were distributing the food and there became, became a dispute. Hey, you know, you, you gave my grandma two rolls and she, the other grandma got three rolls or whatever started coming up. So there was this dispute over that. So look at what it says in verse 2. So the 12, these are the guys that hung around with Jesus. The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, I guess like Timon and Pumbaa, I guess is how you pronounce that, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Are you a person that can do a whole lot of stuff? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand because you don't want to be bragging, but are, maybe you're, I've got a friend of mine that can do, I'll, we always pick on him about him able to do anything because it seems like when we're talking about something, he'll say, oh yeah, I used to do that. Or, and, and, and maybe you're one of these people that has a lot of natural talent or you've had a lot of experience, but I've got a friend of mine who can preach. He's a great preacher. He can sing. He can play guitar. He can even play some piano. He can tune a piano. Not only can he play it, but he can tune it. He can kill a deer with a gun or a bow and arrow, either one, whatever you need. He can fix small engines. He can cut meat. And I don't mean just like with a knife. I'm talking like he used to be a butcher and can use the big giant saw that'll cut your hand off and knows all the cuts of meat and all that kind of stuff. He can organize like crazy, organize the daylight set of stuff. He's done business training, that kind of stuff. He can do a mean Jeff Foxworthy impersonation. He can do just about anything anything. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Donnie. Donnie who, Donnie, it, it's amazing the stuff that Donnie can do. And, uh, and me and, and Blake and Chris always pick on him because we'll be talking about something Donnie will say, oh yeah, I used to do, oh yeah, he can play golf and basketball too if you need that. But it, he can do just about anything you need to be done or if not, he can figure out how to do it and take care of it. He can do anything. And the, 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 the struggle for somebody like Donnie, and maybe if you're like him, is you have to avoid being maxed out because you can do all kind of stuff. And so because you can do all kind of stuff, next thing you know, if you're not careful, you will have your hands in everything and be trying to do everything. But it's not about how much you can do. What you need to do is you need to find your one thing. You need to find your one thing that you really need to focus on. You see, when, when you try to do so many different things, what you need to remember is, that it, it's about what you should do and not what you can do. In this story that we just read, with the, uh, the story about the apostles, they could have served food every day. They were probably, well, I would say they're probably pretty good at it, but they must have been messing up somewhere because there was a dispute over who was getting enough food. But they had been with Jesus. These guys had been trained we think we've got some good training opportunities today. They've been trained by Jesus. They had the best training that has ever been. They hung out with him for three years. So they could do all kinds of things. They could teach the word. They could serve the widows. They could do all these different things that could be done. And if next thing you knew, if they were trying to focus on everything, then all of a sudden they would find out that they're not doing the one thing that's really important. And if you look, on, uh, look at verse 2 there of Acts 6, it says this, when this dispute came up, it said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Their one thing that they knew that they had to do, that they could do, that God wanted them to do, more than anything else, is they needed to be focusing on understanding what the Word means and then teaching it to people so that then they can teach others. And what they realized was, if we get 
you know, caught up into this idea of serving the widows and all this kind of stuff, we're going to be maxed out and we're not going to be able to focus on the one thing God wants us to do and to be able to do that the best that we can. Now, I want you to notice something in that verse too. It never says in there that serving the widow's food was unimportant. Never in there is it even implied that, well, hey, serving the widows, that doesn't, if it was what the disciples would have said was, listen, we're not going to serve the widow's food. They need to get it on their own. We've got to study the Bible. No, what they said was, it's so important, we need to train other men to do this for us, but we don't need to be the ones that are doing it. Even though they could do it, that wasn't what they should do. Both of those jobs were needed. Studying the Word, teaching the Word was needed, serving the widow's food was needed. Both of them were needed, both of them were important, but both of them weren't needed to be done by the apostles. They had to figure out what their one thing was that they needed to be involved in. And when they did that, look at what happens. Look at verse 7 of Acts 6. So they figure out, okay, that's not what we need to focus on. We appoint some other people. And then immediately in verse 6, it says, so, which by the way, the word so, it ties the action before to the results. You're about to hear what the results were, and the results were a direct result of the action that just took place, which was the disciples saying, we're not going to serve the widows. We're going to appoint other people to do it. We're going to focus on teaching the word of God. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the word of God spread. As soon as the disciples got focused, and when they got focused on the one thing that God wanted them to do, and they were no longer maxed out, things began to move forward. In fact, when they were maxed out, it was stopping the progress of the church. The church was in a, in a mode where things weren't happening as fast as they should because the leaders of the church were maxed out and they were focusing on things that didn't need to be focused on. And when they found their one thing, which for them was focusing on what the Word was and teaching the Word, the big results began to happen. All of you, including me, we all have one thing that God really wants us to focus in on. Now, I don't know what your one thing is. I don't know how he's gifted you. I don't know what talents you have. I don't know what experience you've had that has brought you to this place to figure out what it is that you need to do. But if you can find that one thing and you can begin to focus on it, it doesn't mean you don't do anything else, but it means you put the, the largest amount of your energy into that strength that God has given you you will begin to find that you have bigger results and better results at whatever it is that God wants you to do because that, that's what he's designed you for. Now, I want you to imagine with me what would happen in this community, not just in this church, but what would happen in Greenville County and Spartanburg County if every single one of us in this room, we figured out what that one thing was. And we began to focus our energy and focus our, our desires and everything that God has given us on, on doing what God wants us to do with that one thing. Now imagine what would happen in this community if, that, if, if all of us went out like an army of people knowing this is what God wants me to do and I can do this better than anybody else can because God's designed me to do it and we went out and did that every day. The, the results would be amazing and I think that we would see results just like we do in Acts uh, chapter 6 verse 7 where it says the word of God spread. There was a rapid spreading of the Word of God after this. Now, let me, let me clarify a couple things today before we, before we finish up. If you're going to try to say, I'm not going to be maxed out anymore, everybody needs to benefit by me being focused, and you're going to try to figure out what your one thing are, 
one thing is, I want to I clarify a couple things. One is this, and I kind of talked about this last week, but this is another message where this will really happen. Some of you today are thinking, you know what, Cliff, I am maxed out. I'm quitting everything tomorrow. And if you do that, you're going to leave some people hanging. If you've committed to do something, you're on some committee at your, your child's school or some community thing, or you're doing something here at church and you said, I'm going to do this for a year, you do it for the, the commitment you've made. Because I don't know if you noticed this, but Moses didn't quit judging people without putting someone else in place to take his job. And the, the disciples didn't quit serving the widow's food without putting someone in place to do the job that they were doing. If you want to not be maxed out anymore, start training somebody else to do the job that you shouldn't be doing. If you're going to focus on your one thing, make part of that as you figure out, okay, this is what I need to do. Now, who's going to take care of this? Well, I better find a couple of people and train them up to do it. And here's the thing. If you do that, they'll do it better than you did because that wasn't your one thing. If it's their one thing, they'll do it a whole lot better than you will. So don't, don't anybody go off, run off half-cocked and make a rash decision and walk in tomorrow to wherever and say, hey, I'm quitting everything because if you do that, you're going to leave a lot of people hanging and then they won't be happy with you at all. You've got to finish strong. The other thing is, too, when I talk about finding your one thing and focusing on that, I'm not talking about doing less work. I'm talking about doing less things. You're going to work just as hard, but you're going to work harder at one thing, and you're going to see bigger results because you're working harder. So I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about, you know what, Cliff? You're right, I am maxed out. I think I'm going to watch more DVDs this week or whatever. I'm not talking about just kicking your feet up and doing nothing. I'm talking about finding that one thing and then working as hard as you can at that. So not less work, but smarter work, focused work. And then one other clarifying thing before we conclude. There will be times when you'll have to pitch in in areas that you're no good at. That just happens. That's what was happening at the beginning of Acts there. There was a lot of the new church, a lot of stuff needed to be done, so everybody did it. it, it we laugh about this all the time. Those of us that were here at the very beginning when freedom started, it was me and Sherry and three other families, and it was like everybody did everything. So we had people doing stuff that they weren't particularly gifted at, that they maybe didn't even particularly like, but it all had to be done. Somebody had to do it. So we all just pitched in and did it. And then as people came in, we said, oh, you can do that better than me. Why don't you do that for a while? And I'm going to focus on my one thing over here. And so there will be times that you have to pitch in. Now, let me close by telling you a couple things of how you can do this and then making the most important point that there is. How are you going to do this? How are you going to figure out your one thing? You ready for an answer that you probably never expected to hear in church? Pray. Now, you know, some of you think, good night, Cliff, pray. Is that all you ever say? Pray about this? But if you want to find your one thing, it needs to begin with prayer. It needs to begin with you asking God, God, I don't know what my one thing is. Won't you show me? And you might need to ask him that every morning and every night for a month. But if you do that, he will begin to reveal to you through conversations you have with people, through things you read in the scripture, through experiences that you have. He'll begin to reveal to you what your one thing needs to be. Second thing is be patient. Don't walk out of here today and say, God, show me my one thing. And if by four o'clock you don't know it, say, well, I forget that. I'm just going to be maxed out. No, you've got to be patient. It's going to take a while. And the third thing is ask Jethro. Not Jethro that, you know, but ask somebody in your life that knows you. It took an outside set of eyes coming to visit Moses. Moses was living that every day, and he never figured it out. He never said, boy, this stinks. It took somebody coming in from out of town to look at his life and say, man, what are you doing? Do it this way. 
ask somebody you trust. Ask somebody maybe that's related to you. Maybe some of you can't trust the people related to you, so ask somebody else. But ask someone you trust. Ask someone that loves you and cares about you. Say, what do you think my one thing would be? What am I gifted at? What do you see in me that helps me to know this is what I really need to be focusing on if I'm going to live my life? And then I want you to be sure that everybody hears this. So if you're thinking about going to Taco Bell, it's torn down. You can't go there. If you're thinking about going somewhere else, forget that for a minute and look at me and listen real close. You can't find your one thing outside of Jesus. If you're here today and you're thinking this is some kind of business, you know, motivational speech and we're all going to go out and build a park or something like that, you can't find your one thing outside of Jesus. And if you're trying to figure out, make sense of this life and try to figure out what you're supposed to do with your time and you're trying to do that without Jesus, you're going to find yourself frustrated and going down the wrong path and trying this thing and that thing and none of them are going to work. The reason this church exists is to help people understand that there is true freedom available and it only comes from Jesus Christ. Maybe you're trying to search for freedom. You, you feel chained up. You, you feel like that, that every, the world's crushing in on you and all that kind of stuff. And you've tried to find freedom through relationships. You've tried to find freedom through accomplishments. You've tried to find freedom through money. You've tried to find freedom through substances. All these different things. Through a hobby. And it, none of it's worked. Because the only way you'll find true freedom is through Jesus. To completely give your life over to Him and say, God, I don't know my one thing, but I do know that I need your son, Jesus. So I want you to bow your heads. And if you need to accept Jesus today, you need to give your life over to him, you can pray this prayer after me. Just mean these words in your heart. Jesus, I'm tired of living my life alone. I know that I've sinned and done things wrong. I believe the only way I can be forgiven is to believe that you died for me on the cross. Believe that you rose again. And I ask for your forgiveness because I do believe those things. Help me to live for you this week. Help me to find my one thing that I need to be focusing on. And I promise that I will give my entire life to you and live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time and you asked Jesus into your heart, there's a place on your sheet that you got when you came in at the bottom where you can indicate that. You can say that you prayed and asked Jesus to become your Savior. Please check that off. We want to be able to get in touch with you, get you a Bible, talk to you a little bit about what that commitment means. And uh, if you're here today and you've already accepted Christ, don't live maxed out any longer. Start making strides to get out of that lifestyle. Everybody around you will benefit if you can begin to get focused on what it is God wants you to do.